Welcome to the ASSP Safety Standards and Tech Pubs podcast, your source for expert insights on industry consensus standards and ASSP technical publications. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Effective risk management is a critical tool in any safety professional's toolkit. The ability to successfully manage your organizational risks is a key to continually improving your safety and health performance. Our guest here to share his expertise on this very topic is Bruce Lyon. Bruce is Vice President of Risk Management Services at Hayes Companies. He has more than 30 years of experience conducting and facilitating operational risk assessments and is co-author of the ASSP publication, Risk Management Tools for Safety Professionals, which is the topic of our conversation today. Bruce, thank you so much for coming on. It's great to have you. Well, thank you, Scott. It's great to be here. All right. Well, let's get started. Now, I know this is a very big topic that impacts really everybody in the safety profession. There's a lot to tackle here, so I thought we could touch on the the main focus areas of the book and kind of guide listeners through the risk management process and talk about why each of those steps is so important. So let's start with the risk communication. Risk management involves so many individuals from across an organization, so obviously communication is going to be a critical piece of that puzzle. What are the most effective communication methods and what are the most important pieces of information that need to be conveyed throughout the risk? management process. Right. Well, uh, you, you mentioned that this is a big topic, and it really mm-hmm. is. In, in terms of uh, our profession, risk management, risk assessment, and prevention through design, which are all built into this book, are, I think, the critical foundation of our future for the profession. Mm-hmm. Speaking of communication, the, the whole risk management process revolves around effective communication and consultation throughout the process so that business decision makers are guided and given the right information to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. So you're exactly right. Starting with communication, uh, we all should be looking for ways to find ways to engage and be more effective in our communication. And some of the methods, some of the tools that, that, that uh, I find to be very helpful, especially considering the audience, mm-hmm. which is typically going to be decision makers, management level uh, personnel, people that have to have some, their stakeholders in the mm-hmm. process. They have to understand the language we're, we're using. All right. Uh, we get very proud of some of the terminology we have, and we have <laughs> to have it, but a lot of times it isn't well known outside of our profession. Mm-hmm. So. It's, I think, very important that we talk in a common language. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of some of the tools that we find to be very useful are tools that provide more visual okay. uh, orientation as to risks and where they lie within the whole profile of, of risks. And some of those tools, uh, obviously, the risk matrix and heat maps to kind of show where risks line up and, and match and, and uh, compare. And then the bow tie risk assessment process Mm -hmm. is a great uh, visual tool that helps communicate a particular scenario to management, like what the potential uh, triggers, causes are for for this scenario, the preventive measures that are in place, and and if the event should occur, what reactive or mitigative measures we have to prevent or reduce the the impact to the consequences. Mm -hmm. So any tools that help communicate the message in an effective way, providing management the input for decision-making, I think are very helpful. Mm -hmm. So it would get everybody on the same page, speaking the same language. Absolutely. Safety professionals understanding the business terminology and and vice versa. And that's exactly right. We we have to be able to speak in terms of what do they currently measure. And a lot of them are financial metrics. Some are non-financial benefits that, uh, that like reputation and, and public image. Mm-hmm. 
that obviously risk can affect. Uh, but most of the metrics that they're using tend to be financially related and tied to business objectives. So, and, and you, you keyed in on, I think, a really good point that the whole purpose of risk assessment is to provide information to decision makers so that they can achieve the objectives that the company has set in place. So mm -hmm. we need to really align our, our efforts with the business objectives. So that means we have to understand what they are and show how we help achieve those. Sure, sure. So, okay, so working from that, we move into establishing the context. When trying to tackle any project, it's important to establish the scope and hone in on what it is you're trying to accomplish. So let's say you're a safety professional, could be at any size corporation. I'm sure every safety professional would love to address every risk at their work site to the best of their ability, but every organization has budget constraints and other priorities. So in order to establish, let's say, a realistic context for risk management, where is the best place to start? Well, first, you're right. They have to be prioritized. Mm -hmm. And if we take a risk-based approach, there is a, a method for prioritizing according to mm -hmm. risk level. So you're exactly right. There are limited resources, time constraints uh, that organizations have. And, and it would be great to be able to go out and, and address all hazards and risks at, at once. But we all know that's not right. uh, practical. So we, we do have to take a prioritized approach, beginning with establishing the context for the, for the risk assessment and risk management process. First, we have to establish what's the purpose and the goal and the mission of our efforts. What's the scope? What's it going to include? What are the, the, the boundaries and limitations, um, the complexity? And then what's the risk criteria we're going to use? Mm -hmm. The scoring methods, uh, the risk assessment tools we're going to uh, uh, put in practice, the team, the, the assessors, uh, all of the things that need to be thought of and planned before actually jumping in and, mm -hmm. and doing mm -hmm. risk assessments and, and treating risks. So to me, next to communication, this is probably the most important step in the process to do it right is to have that context really defined and, and well communicated so that everyone is very clear on what is needed to be accomplished mm -hmm. and how to accomplish it. Okay. And, and I think risk criteria, if you want to, to dig into that a little bit more, that's going to vary based on each organization. Mm -hmm. every, every organization has somewhat of a different culture and, and mindset. Uh, some are in different industries, obviously uh, oil and gas, obviously have much higher risk sure. mm -hmm. than say say uh, a performing arts uh, uh, type of industry where you know they're not dealing with the high hazards but they still have risks so they're going to be measuring risks a little bit differently within their organization but the key part of that is to be consistent within your organization to have that defined risk criteria that you measure against and the methods you use to measure to to come up with the risk levels mm -hmm. are, are super critical that's that's the key mm -hmm. and uh, i think uh, that what that's part of what makes the the context so important, and uh, you really can't go on and do a very effective risk right. assessment right. without mm -hmm. that established. Working from there, taking that next step, you've identified the risks. The process then moves into risk analysis and evaluation. I decided to kind of put these two together to talk about the role of each and the differences between the two. Now, what distinguishes analyzing a risk from evaluating a risk, and how does this step help stakeholders prioritize? their initiatives moving forward. Uh, absolutely. There are a multitude of 
risk assessment tools available. I won't go through all of those here, but I, I certainly would encourage safety professionals to, to, to dig in to the methods that, that are available and, and find out which ones fit their needs the best. I've found that most situations require one or more, sometimes several risk assessment tools mm -hmm. in combination because uh, for instance, for identifying, as you mentioned, the, the first step in risk assessment, we have to identify the risks and and be able to anticipate those risks that maybe are hidden or are not presently existing but come into play when non-routine activities mm -hmm. or maintenance uh, uh, take place. So they may be periodic, and so we have to anticipate those types of risks. Mm -hmm. We may not see them. So. The first step of risk assessment is the, the, the identification and documentation of the risks, the existing controls, the, the potential failures or failure modes, uh, what can go wrong, and as a severity of, of those particular events. That being the first step, the, the second is we, and, and maybe I should mention some of the tools for, for identification. There, there's many, a lot of organizations use checklists or guide words for hazard identification studies or HAZID. There's brainstorming, uh, which I think is a very effective method when you have a team, and it's valuable to have uh, the, the right team, which includes maybe the operators, the, the production folks, if it's a pr production operation. Maintenance definitely uh, should always be included in that. Any Anyone with knowledge of the operation and potential hazards are really important to be involved in the identification and the, the assessment of, of the risk. So brainstorming becomes very valuable in certain situations depending on the complexity. Uh, interviews with key people, key employees mm -hmm. is a really good method. Surveys of the operations. Research into similar operations outside of the company. You can Google things to find out what types of things have gone wrong with this mm -hmm. type of work. There's all types of, you know, there's books, there's all types mm -hmm. of, of resources. but. The point is, it should be more than just a quick walkthrough and identifying sure, sure. the obvious hazards. Mm -hmm. It takes quite a bit more than that. Getting into your other question, what's the difference between analysis and evaluation? There is there is a distinct difference, and sometimes those terms get used mm -hmm. uh, improperly. Right, right. But the analysis being the second part of risk assessment is where we determine the risk level. Okay. So we're, we're looking at, okay, we've identified the risk, we, we have a severity, level, but now we need to define what's the likelihood of that occurring. And with our context, we've established definitions for that levels of severity and levels of, of likelihood, we can come up with a risk level. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes that can be a qualitative measure, a high, medium, low, or it could be a, uh, a semi-quantitative or quantitative uh, numerical score where we're you know, it's a one or it's a it's a five or it's a 25, uh, you know, in, with the higher number being the higher risk. Mm -hmm. So the analysis is, a, is probably the meat of the risk assessment. That's where we actually analyze the risks, the controls that are there, and what the likelihood and severity okay. are. Okay. Uh, the evaluation is the third step in risk assessment, and this is where we basically measure and compare that risk level with the benchmarks that we have established in our criteria. So is it acceptable? Is it in a range where, okay, this risk is, be is below our threshold where we have to take action? Uh, or is it in the middle? 
somewhere where we need to prioritize this, this is an important one, or is it at the top where this is unacceptable, we have to stop work mm -hmm. and address this right now. Right. Uh, we cannot proceed until we reduce the risk. That's the evaluation piece that uh, is used to go to the next step in risk treatment. Mm -hmm. So the, the risk evaluation is, is critical. And, and one last thing I think is important to, to, to just, I guess, highlight again is doing risk assessment, we always need to remember the non-routine activities that are typically not thought of. Mm -hmm. uh, we're really good at identifying things in the workplace or, or the job site. We see them happening. Oh yeah, those, there's risks. But we have to think beyond that. Where do these non-routine activities take place? Where can we anticipate them? Because they generally involve some particular high energy or, or high mm -hmm. hazard uh, exposure in, in terms of, uh, of what they're having to, to do in their maintenance service or activities. So uh, key part to, to risk assessment. Mm -hmm in my opinion. I'm really glad you mentioned that actually I was gonna that was gonna be my follow-up question in a lot of conversations I've had with safety professionals it's those non-routine tasks that often carry the highest risks mm. so it is really important to think about you know not just okay this is what somebody's doing on a daily basis but what they could be doing maybe it's just yeah. annually or se you know semi-annually however often it might be you have to think of every single well, risk that someone may encounter. Well, yeah there's there's all types of upsets or or disruptions in workplaces, things that go wrong, near misses, that create a, a situation where people have to react and do mm -hmm. certain tasks that are non-routine, not part of the typical, uh, you know, their JSAs or what they've been trained to do. Mm -hmm. uh, maintenance is fairly familiar with these non-routine tasks. They, they, they tend to do them, but they don't do them day in, day out. Right. And they generally involve high energy exposure to, to electrical energized electrical systems high you know uh, work elevations working at heights uh, maybe in confined spaces mm -hmm. having to, to to go in to do a service work on uh, you know some vessel cleaning all types of activities but we, we have to think about that and, and I'll add one more thing that's third parties or contractors that come mm -hmm. in and do these activities in our facilities <laughs> around our people. right that's equally important to, to consider in risk assessment. So risk assessment needs to, to be applied throughout the organization for all the potential risks mm -hmm. that, that uh, they can encounter for it to be you know, an effective uh, process. Uh, and that's, uh, I think, what we need to think about. Okay, so now you've done your identification, evaluation, and analysis, and now we move into risk treatment. Now, this is where a lot of the decision-making happens and determining how the organization is going to address the risks that have been identified. You note in the book the different analytical methods for selecting risk treatments, and I wonder if you could touch on those and the different criteria organizations should weigh when determining which will be the most effective solutions. Oh, absolutely. This is the most critical part of what we do, in, in my opinion, because if we don't take action and treat and reduce risks, our risk assessments really have no value. Um, so you, you're exactly right. This is where the decision-making takes place. Uh, we're typically going to be advising management on uh, our you know, recommendations for uh, actions for uh, reducing risk. So we have to be able to, as we talked about before in communication, we have to be able to present it in a way that management understands and appreciates mm -hmm. and, and can make a judgment on which option they want to 
select and the selections or the, or the options should be selected by us according to the hierarchy of controls. Mm -hmm. We really need to, right. to always use that uh, concept when we start looking at what are the options. Well, first we should say, can, can the risk be eliminated mm -hmm. to begin with? Do we really have to uh, live with it? Is there some way we can eliminate it by doing an, another method? Uh, this is sometimes difficult in, unless you're in the design phase. Uh, you, you really can't avoid or eliminate hazards if they're already there as easily uh, until maybe a redesign. But we should always consider that. And second step is if we can substitute something with lower, uh, a lower hazard uh, element or a, a, a less hazardous chemical, for instance, uh, that will do the same uh, performance of, of the task, uh, that is the next best solution. If we can minimize the amount of the quantity, whether it's the energy level, uh, the, the pressure, the, the, the temperature, the, uh, the weights that are handled, that is the next best choice. Uh, we get into then the engineering controls, and those are, are commonly used and very important. Um, starting with, I, I think, the, the controls that don't require activation, that are mm -hmm. more passive, like, like barriers that are permanent or, or containment barriers or, or, or uh, dikes that, around chemical tanks. Those are going to work no matter what happens, unless they're right. whole and they're not maintained. But uh, the other engineering controls are the active controls, like the presence sensing devices, uh, controls that, that require some trigger to, to work mm -hmm. uh, and, and protect the, the, the person. And those are commonly used in machinery and robotics, and, and they're very important. Beyond that, we get into the administer, I should say below that, we get into the administrative controls and the PPE controls, warnings. Uh, those should be last resort controls right. in my opinion, mm -hmm. but they're typically still needed, but we shouldn't default to those lower level controls. And I, I think that when we're talking with management, we should emphasize the importance of reducing the risk through the most effective mm -hmm. means being the higher level controls. Uh, so some of the methods uh, that I think are, are important in helping make that case to management are cost-benefit analyses mm -hmm. of, of the various uh, measures, showing a, uh, you know, a case of here's what it would look like if we reduce this, this is what it would cost, here are the ongoing you know, maintenance costs, and, and, and we total it all up and we show that we're getting a return on the investment mm -hmm. maybe within a year and two months. Or, or some some number that we can justify. Management's going to respond much better to that than if we say, you know, we need to do this because it's an OSHA requirement. Right. <laughs> that that is, yeah, probably not going to, to mean as much to management as they can put their arms around. Okay, I've got some numbers. I understand that they want to be in compliance. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. We all want to do the right thing. But when you're balancing everything against the other objectives of the organization, when we can put numbers to it, it helps them make those decisions Absolutely. a little more mm -hmm. effectively. Mm -hmm. So, the, the, yeah, the, the controls need to be, according to the hierarchy, we can support them with cost-benefit analysis and return on investments. I think also non-financial benefits need to be described. What, what types of you know improvements in employee morale, having mm -hmm. them you know more productive as a result because they're they're not uh, maybe uh, calling in sick as often right. and, and right. having you know uh, maybe a little more enthusiasm because they feel like they're mm -hmm. in a safer work environment. Sure. 
those are non-financial or indirect benefits, I think, that, that do drive costs, you know, eventually, and they need to be brought in as well because mm -hmm. those are things that, that, that add up on the balance sheet sure. and help sell our, uh, our best risk treatments or options that we can provide to, to management. Absolutely. That's, and that's a really good point. I think you mentioned employee morale and those type of things that may be harder to quantify, but are still having a huge impact on the safety culture across the whole organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. Moving down the line to the final step of the process, if you will, is monitoring your review. And although I say it's the final step, in a way it's really only the beginning because this is where you begin to track your progress and determine if the controls you've selected are achieving an acceptable level of risk. So what are the best ways to track your performance and the preferred metrics to see if you're really improving your safety and health performance? Yeah, absolutely. There, there, uh, there definitely needs to be a, a verification and validation process in place to, number one, make sure that we, we actually implemented the controls that we've selected, mm -hmm. that they're working as intended. A lot of times a control may look good until it's actually put in place and it's not performing mm -hmm. as, as effectively as, as we would have hoped. Or it could be introducing other problems. It could right. be an impediment to the operation. It could create other hazards. These, mm -hmm. This is a pretty critical part, I think. The we, we certainly want to stay involved with the process after the controls are in place because we really haven't finished. We want to make sure they're working and and, uh, and making the employee safer. The, the other things that we need to, to, to also do are track the improvements that some of these controls help the, uh, the organization achieve. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned some key performance indicators. That there's basically, uh, I think, a balanced approach that needs to be taken where you're incorporating both leading indicators and lagging indicators. They should support one another. The, the performance, or the leading performance indicators should be the, the activity or action-related measures or, or things that are put in place that drive the results, the lagging indicators. Mm -hmm. So they need to be tied together. And when we're measuring, uh, when we're measuring the effectiveness of our controls, we need to consider that. Some of the leading uh, key performance indicators, as I mentioned, they're action-oriented measures. They typically measure the number or percentage of things that have been performed that will result or derive the improvement, like design phase uh, safety reviews or, or risk assessments at the design phase. I think if we get to a point where organizations are measuring, are actually performing design safety reviews, looking at the design from a safety standpoint and incorporating safety spe specifications, if we're, if we're doing a good job of that, that's probably gonna be, be the key performance indicator for safety in the long run because once a design is put in place, it's there permanently until mm -hmm. it's redesigned. Right. If we're doing a good job from a safety standpoint of making those designs more safe, eliminating hazards, in other words, the no statements, not having elevated work, no mm -hmm. exposed right. electrical uh, work, uh, no open chemical systems, those types of things. If we're doing a good job of making sure those aren't designed into our facilities right. and equipment, we're going to have less problems that we'll have to deal with going forward. Right. right. So that's a great uh, performance measure. If, if we start to perform those, we can measure how many uh, those are conducted. Uh, you know, departments uh, can measure risk assessments that they're 
conducting. Um, they can measure the, the risk reduction that they're achieving in the scores because we're talking about a metric uh, mm -hmm. in, in terms of the risk scores. And we want those numbers to go down so we can track that. Right. We, can, we can show uh, uh, kind of like uh, a lot of other parts of the organization have charts that they, they post on the, the bulletin boards and show the progress of, of quality mm -hmm. or, or production. Well, we can do the same in risk. And I think that that's a great way to elevate the visibility of our, uh, our work and our role in the organization because really we should be viewed as the risk professionals that they rely upon to help achieve their objectives. They need our help. Mm -hmm. We just need to be able to communicate and provide Absolutely. that help in, in uh, the best way possible. Absolutely. Uh, anything else you'd like to add about risk assessment and uh, risk management? I, I just would encourage uh, professionals to, to, to become subject matter experts in risk management and risk assessment. The risk assessment uh, standards, the ISO 31000, 3110 standards are excellent resources. I would highly recommend every safety professional to obtain copies, read those, and start to understand and implement th those concepts. They're, they're going to be critically valuable to the future. The other standard I think that's critically important is the ANSI Z590.3 Prevention Through Design mm -hmm. standard. And I think that standard, if you can only buy one standard, that would be the one I would buy. <laughs> it's where we all need to be. Uh, it, it looks at the life cycle system approach of beginning with the conceptual design all the way through its life to the decommission of a system. We should be involved in the front end, the middle, and the end in all of the life cycle of, of our systems and facilities and, and processes. So yeah, that's my message to safety professionals. You know, dig in, learn as much as you can, become engaged and be mm -hmm. a trusted advisor that they rely upon because they need our help. That's great advice. All thank right. You. Well, uh, thank you very much again for coming on, Bruce. I know that uh, this is a topic that has and uh, will be really important to uh, our listeners, and I hope they uh, take a look at the book and see how they can use it to improve uh, risk management at their organization. So thank you again. Well, thank you, Scott. If you'd like to purchase a copy of Risk Management Tools for Safety Professionals, it's available now at the ASSB store. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the ASSB Safety Standards and Tech Pubs podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.